Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. When State Representative David Morales was first elected, he was only 22, making him the youngest member of the General Assembly and one of the youngest Latino legislators in the country. This year, he's introduced more than 25 bills, among them a proposal to provide health insurance for all children, regardless of their immigration status. But he's been busy outside of the State House as well. Last month, he became the commissioner of the Renegade Wrestling Alliance, an organization that puts on WWE-style events around the state. We'll talk about all of that and more after this quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with State Representative David Morales. Thanks for joining me today, Rep, or should I say Commissioner? <laughs> Thank you, as always, Ed. It's a pleasure to be back on with you and very excited to talk about the different issues affecting working people and, most importantly, the work we're doing at the State House. I, I see that you recently became the Commissioner of the Renegade Wrestling Alliance. Can you tell our listeners about the Alliance and how you became Commissioner? Yes, I'd be excited to. So I am currently the on-screen commissioner for the Renegade Wrestling Alliance, which is an independent professional wrestling organization based here in Rhode Island. And I've been deeply involved with the RWA since last August when they first did a show out in the Mount Pleasant Little League. So I actually took a body slam on uh, my debut that night. And over the course of the last seven months, we've had a storyline where I have been in an intense rivalry with the former RWA champion, Kellen Thomas. And it all culminated last month back in March where we had a show where I announced to everyone who had signed my petition during the February show that I was now the authorized owner and commissioner. And as my first move, I actually suspended Mr. Kellen Thomas from our promotion. <laughs> so some could call me a bad guy, but I would say I'm a very reasonable commissioner as long as you don't tick me off. <laughs> Um, yeah, tell me about that body slam. I, I heard you, you learned a lesson, uh, a, a teachable moment. That is absolutely correct. So for any listeners who are here and are professional wrestling fan enthusiasts, there's a lot of details that go into taking a quote-unquote bump. Always tuck in your chin, otherwise your head will ricochet off the mat. Learn that the hard way and always make sure to bend your knees, otherwise your heels will ricochet off the mat. Both lessons which I learned that first night. And I, are you the heel in, in this uh, scenario? One can make that argument, Ed. Again, I would say I'm a very reasonable commissioner, 
that is simply based on make sure that you respect me, but most importantly, uh, stroke my ego. Otherwise, we might have some issues. <laughs> um, my colleague Dan McGowan is a big wrestling fan, and he tells me uh, they tried to bring WrestleMania to Foxborough recently. What would your pitch be to Vince McMahon to bring it to Providence? That we have a diverse audience of all ages, all backgrounds, who are excited to see professional wrestling You're ready for on this a question. bigger <laughs> landscape. Oh, I was absolutely ready. <laughs> um, who is your favorite professional wrestler and why? I would definitely say Rey Mysterio. And I say Rey Mysterio because I started watching professional wrestling in the mid-2000s. And given that I did not have cable, I was watching satellite television, which aired SmackDown. And on SmackDown was a luchador by the name Rey Mysterio, who was Mexican, wore a mask. And to be quite honest, the first time I ever really saw someone from my culture represented within pop culture. And so for me, being able to be a part of the rise of Rey Mysterio's championship win, it all fit very naturally alongside the merchandise as appealed to masks and action figures. Rey Mysterio was born in Chula Vista. California, and, and you were born in Soledad, the setting for the John Steinbeck novel of Mice and Men. Tell me about growing up there. Yeah, so Soledad is a small community of roughly 20,000 people, and it's predominantly an immigrant community of Latinos, specifically Mexicans who are engaged in farm labor. So it was always a tight-knit community, and I think for a long time very much had me in a position where I felt very sheltered, because all I knew was farmland and hard backbreaking labor and seeing people struggle, but understanding that that was the reality we lived in. And it wasn't until I got into my adolescence, specifically in high school when I was engaged in speech and debate where I was exposed to the more affluent areas that existed and the different resources that were available. Because again, keep in mind where I grew up, the closest Walmart, the closest Target was roughly a 30 minute drive. But again, I think that helped mold who I am today in the sense of arguably being humble and like understanding my roots, understand where I come from, but most importantly, like the lived experience, the lived experience of having neighbors who were not engaged in government, not through choice, but simply because it was just not accessible. And so using all of that to, again, be able to create a better standard of living for themselves. And again, families like mine, where it was a single mom, an older sister and a younger child, that being me. When you were elected at age 22, you were the youngest legislature, legislator in the General Assembly Part of what is now the most diverse General Assembly in Rhode Island history, um, uh, do you see yourself as part of a larger trend? Most definitely. Again, I think our communities are becoming more diverse. And as a result of that, one thing that makes me really excited is the fact that it's now reflected within our government. Because for too long, we have had communities that are diverse that haven't necessarily been represented by people who share their lived experience. And a part of that is the culture. But even deeper than that are some of the socioeconomic challenges as it relates to Latinos in particular, right, when we're often talking about immigration status. So now within the General Assembly, I'm excited that we are on a pathway to ensure that everyone, regardless of immigration status, will actually be able to access a driver's license, a fight that's been going on for 15 years. But again, as you had stated, we are now much more diverse. We now have a lot more individuals within the General Assembly who have lived experience and can talk to our colleagues about why it is so important that we pass a critical law that will change the lives of people for the better. Yeah, you mentioned that bill to provide uh, driver's privileges to undocumented residents in Rhode Island. Do you expect that to pass this year? I mean, it was on the cusp last year, but it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, so first I'll just start off by saying that I believe driving is a human right. 
and not necessarily a privilege. And on that note as well, I would most definitely say that we are on a path to getting it done because the stakeholders have come together in the form of the governor's office, the DMV, and the legislature to be able to determine, hey, other states have been able to do this without any additional cost, but instead actually seen an addition in tax revenue, while at the same time also ensuring that our roads are safer. And at the most importantly, you know, I think we're finally in a position as well where a lot of the laws that we're starting to pass within the General Assembly are focused on empathy. And we're also looking at it from the empathetic lens as well of people should be able to drive to the doctor, people should be able to take their children to school, be able to go buy groceries, be able to go to the laundromat. One of your first big decisions was whether to back Joe Shikarchi for House Speaker, and you abstained. Has that decision hampered your ability to get things done at the State House? I would say no. And that is something I've been very pleased with. And I think, again, demonstrates that within the State House, we have shifted the culture away from personal relationships and corporate interests, but more so based on merit. And I say that because last year, I had the opportunity and the ability based on the relationships I built and most importantly, the support on being able to pass two pieces of legislation um, as it related to ensuring that all COVID tests in addition to COVID vaccines were free of cost. And in addition to that, establishing the strongest whistleblower protections in the entire country. And this year I'm focused on my top priority, which is cover all kids, ensuring that every child in the state of Rhode Island has healthcare coverage through Medicaid, regardless of immigration status. Had this happened a decade earlier, one could argue that abstaining a vote from the speaker would have made these policies unattainable. Yeah, would you support Shikarchi if the vote was today for speaker? I would definitely have a discussion with him as it relates to certain priorities related to repealing the tax cuts for the wealthiest people, which we passed back in 2006. In other words, known as quote unquote taxing the rich and other initiatives focused on establishing fair free RIPTA, making sure that automatic expungement is incorporated into cannabis. And that would ultimately influence my decision. Um, I, yeah, you mentioned one of your legislative priorities, cover all kids. Bring us up to date on that proposal. Yes. Yeah, so I'm very pleased that the governor has included the cover all kids initiative into his state budget. And a lot of this goes back to the work that myself and Senator Cano did throughout the fall. So once we came out of session, we knew that going into the 2022 legislative session, we're going to have to put a lot of our energy to, again, ensure that we restore health care coverage to every child who lacks it simply due to their immigration status, something that they have no control over. So we got together with the Medicaid office. We worked very closely with them to get a very specific fiscal estimate of $1.6 million, which this bill would essentially cost in the years thereafter. So following that, we had a conversation with the governor's office, the lieutenant governor's office. And again, I was very grateful for their support as it related to the budget. And right now we're in a position where both the House finance and the Senate finance hearings have happened. And we need to ensure that prior to the end of session that we codify this into law as well. Yeah. Talk to me about the importance. Since it's in the budget, why does it need to uh, why do you need to have the legislation passed? Yes, we need the legislation passed because, again, at that point, it will essentially be part of Rhode Island general law. Whereas if you don't pass it through legislation, it simply goes through the budget, then it's simply just a budget initiative. So it is very easy for a future governor to simply just remove that portion of funding as it relates to ensuring all children have coverage. Got it. Um, Boston Dynamics had its dancing robots in a Super Bowl ad. But what did you think of those robot dogs? Did you think that was uh, you didn't think that was that amusing, right? No, it's concerning to me. It's concerning to me that we are moving towards artificial intelligence as it relates to allowing our law enforcement officers to have access to such technology, specifically any technology that would be armed. 
And I say that because last year I introduced a bill as it related to prohibiting law enforcement from having access to artificial intelligence, specifically police robot dogs. And based on feedback I received from committee members, alongside my own discussions with different stakeholders, we amended the bill so it was specific as it related to artificial intelligence that is armed. And my concern is that across the entire world, we are starting to see military forces who are actively using drones that are armed. And so for me, it's going to be important that we never even have the conversation or allow for any form of armed drones, armed police robot dogs to have a presence within our communities. And from what I understand, that bill has bipartisan support? That's absolutely correct. So Representative David Place and Minority Leader Blake Filippi are in support of the legislation and have co-sponsored it. You received a master's degree in public affairs from Brown University, but you've introduced a bill that would let cities uh, place a 2% tax on the endowment of universities like Brown. Um, How much money would that be and what would it be used for? Yeah, so I have House Bill 7813 as it relates to enabling legislation that allows cities and towns to place a 2% tax on a private institution's endowment. So what that would mean for the city of Providence if we decided to A, pass this bill, but most importantly, ensure that the Providence City Council allows for this to happen, is it would put us in a position to generate well over $150 million in annual revenue. So Brown's endowment is roughly $6.8 billion. So when you extract 2% out of that, you're looking billion at roughly- Billion with a B. Right? Billion with a B, that is correct. You are already looking at $130 million. You combine that with RISD, PC, in Johnson and Wales, you are looking at a substantial amount of revenue, which is actually going to be part of a restricted receipt to go specifically to Providence Public Schools or any respective school district based on a municipality who imposes that tax. And I wanted to be very clear about that because I didn't want folks within the General Assembly, I didn't want cities and towns to simply think that this was just going to be an opportunity for them to garner additional revenue to use on quote-unquote pet projects. I wanted to be as intentional as possible, and given the inequalities that exist within our education system across the state, we need to ensure that the urban core has an opportunity to further invest. And I think that starts by looking at the private institutions who are tax-exempt and saying, hey, you're currently not paying your fair share, but here's a reasonable way in which we can ensure that you're contributing to our tax base while also having the reassurance it's going to go back to our K-12 through schools. Now, if that bill passes, are you going to get invited to any Brown alumni events? I already do not, so I don't suspect that will change at all. Oh, no, why not? I've been very vocal as it relates to my one-year experience at Brown. I was part of the MPA program, an experience which I really much enjoyed. But at the same time, throughout that experience, I understood the impact that Brown University has had within the community of Providence as it relates to gentrification, displacement, and what I would say most horrendous is the lack of tax revenue that they contribute to our city. I don't think the pilot agreements that we currently have in place is sufficient. And at the same time, we also need to recognize that every single time Brown University expands, especially right now we're seeing them go into the jewelry district in downtown, we're losing more and more tax revenue for the city of Providence. And Providence is already 40% tax exempt in terms of the land. And we need to do something to address that inequality. Otherwise, property taxes on working families are going to continue to increase while services stay the same. Another bill that you've introduced would repeal the law that prevents cities and towns from setting their own minimum wage. What do other states do? Yeah, so we are the only state in New England, unfortunately, that does not allow for cities and towns to set their own minimum wage independent of the states. And House Bill 7575 would, again, be able to address that inequality that currently exists within our municipalities, especially because when you do the research, we actually passed this law back in 2014 through the state budget. 
It wasn't even necessarily an independent bill that passed. And the reason for that was because hotel workers in Providence had organized and were preparing within the Providence City Council to pass an ordinance that would set an industry wage for hotel workers at $15 an hour. But sure enough, the hotel lobby got involved, intervened, and ensured that a a notion like this would exist. So my goal is to repeal it and ensure that any municipality, specifically Providence within the urban core, has that ability to set a higher minimum wage and a specific minimum wage as well, because a conversation I've often heard is, well, what about small businesses? And I think that is absolutely a genuine concern that we need to address by saying, hey, when you have the ability to set your own minimum wage, you can do it based on the distinction of a business. So for example, my pitch would be, we should pass this bill because now Providence would allow for any businesses that employ 50 or more employees to have a higher minimum wage in the state. So to get back to wrestling, um, let me ask you, where, where do you see more posturing, in the wrestling ring or at the state house? <laughs> I would say they're about even. I think with within the wrestling ring, it can get a little more creative, a little more theatrical. Uh, whereas in the state house, I think you know, there's still a notion of the quote-unquote professionalism which exists there. And if you had to pick just two people from the General Assembly, what would be your ideal matchup in the ring? Who would be the face and who would be the heel? Oh, wow. So I would definitely be the face because, you know, I'm, I'm the good guy in all of this scenario, right, Ed? And I would most definitely say in the scenario where I have to square off against a heel, I would definitely say the passing of the torch match. So I would say between myself and Representative Brian Kennedy. Oh, I'd, I'd pay to see that. Yeah, and I say that because we've worked specifically last year, we were able to pass a $40 cap on insulin. And I was really grateful for the collaboration that me and Representative Kennedy had because I had a $25 cap bill, he had a $50 cap bill, and eventually we came together and merged both bills. Representative Morales, Commissioner Morales, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you again, Ed. Much appreciated. Here are some more stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. Dr. Anthony Fauci will be in the Ocean State in May to give a graduation speech at Roger Williams University. I have a story with the details. My colleague Alexa Gagas has a Q&A with Joe Lee, the founder of Pop-Up Roadie, which lists short-term rentals for pop-up events throughout the state. Our columnist Dan McGowan has a profile of Brett Smiley, a Democrat running for mayor of Providence. For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. As we interview all of the candidates for governor this year, we want your questions. What would you ask them? Email your ideas to rinews at globe.com. You might hear your question on the podcast. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport. Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.